Okay, now for our second message, be brought to us by Mr. Matthew Steele. It is entitled, 1 Peter, Part 7. Well, good afternoon. Everybody staying warm? That's the only uh, trouble when you come to church, it's cold outside, and the heater's on, it's comfortable, and there's a nice voice talking to you, and off you start to, to drift a little bit. I just have to go get some coffee. Hopefully I don't drift off while I'm up here. I don't know if you've noticed, but um, sometimes the Bible is hard follow. And I don't mean necessarily read, there's certainly of those places, but sometimes what we are taught to do from the Bible is hard to do, isn't it? And you might be thinking, well, duh, that's the whole point of the whole thing, is how we have been unable to live the life that God wanted us to live. And so we're in sin, and we're fallen, and it's hard to do some of the things that the Bible tells us to do. We might think of some of the commandments, but even some of the commandments, though, are actually not too hard. I mean, has anybody refrained from killing somebody today, this week, not doing any murder? Good, we've got that one. David came close, apparently. There are some commandments that are relatively easy most of the time. Now, of course, we know that, that Jesus tightened that one up a little bit, didn't he? Have you ever been angry at your brother? Okay, now that one's a little bit more challenging. Well, there is another passage. It's in Peter. Surprise, surprise. And I really thought that we would end the Peter series today, but now now there's more for us to learn, I guess. But in Peter, chapter 4 and verse 12, he says this. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing had happened to you. And this is one of those phrases that we read in the Bible, and then we do exactly the opposite of what it told us to do. Right? He says, don't think it's odd or unusual or abnormal when we endure fiery trials. But what do we do? You say, hold on a second. This shouldn't be happening to me. This shouldn't be going on. We're shocked. Wait a second. What's going on here? Maybe we cry out to God. We, we complain a little bit. This isn't supposed to go on in my life. As though some sort of bargain that we've made has been broken. We made some kind of agreement. We have a bargain that we made when we became a Christian, right? We need to run over to the drawer and get out the, the instructions and the agreements and look at the articles of this bargain that we made and something's gone wrong here. I'm going through a fiery trial. What sort of arrangement do we think we've made? As we have endeavor to walk this Christian right, this Christian life, what sort of arrangement do we think that we have made? 
if I just do everything right, if I keep my nose clean, if I follow God's commandments, and I pray, and I fast, I keep the Sabbath and the holy days, there's the formula. If I don't covet, and I don't lie, I don't steal, and I don't have other gods beforehand, then I'm protected. Right? I'm protected. But where is it written that we get special protection? That we will be shielded from the pain and the suffering that is prevalent in the world? And perhaps we get this idea, maybe we get this idea from Deuteronomy, chapter 20, 28. If you turn over to that, you know, this is, this is part of what's involved in an agreement, in a covenant. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, it says, now it, shall, now it shall come to pass that if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all of his commandments which I have commanded you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And that, that overtake, I mean to me it's like you can't run away from the blessing. right? They're just catching up and they're going to pass you. So you'll run into the blessing. This is pretty cool. We want this agreement. Right? We want this deal. He says, blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall you be the fruit of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be, you shall be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and to all that you set your hand. Everything you set your hand to do, it'll just be blessed. Even the poorest of efforts will result in fruit. He will bless you in the land in which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock. And he's repeating it again, just in case you didn't believe the first time. Because they may not have believed the first time. When does this ever happen to people? Especially a people that have just come out of slavery. That have come from their, their wretched life that they had. So he repeats it. The increase of your livestock and the produce of your ground and the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give the rain of your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Does anybody remember when we did that? What's our national debt up to now? But this is the kind of agreement we would like, right? We have everything we need, 
and we can lend to others at a fair interest rate from which we'll get more blessings. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words that I have commanded you this day to the right or to the left, to go after other, other gods to serve them. Sounds like a really good deal. A good agreement. A great bargain. And it sounds very much like what I portrayed earlier, doesn't it? That if we just do everything right, we'll get all of these blessings. If we obey God's commandments, if we're careful to observe them and not turn to other idols, other ways, other religious practices and doctrines, then we get all of these goodies. Who doesn't like goodies? I like goodies. Mostly my goodies are gadgets, as my wife will tell you. But who doesn't like all of that blessing? That we would be the head and not the tail. That we would be feared in the world. No one would come against us. We would be blessed at every turn. We want for nothing. Never be hungry. And never be thirsty. And never be naked. Seems pretty clear, doesn't it? If we do this, then God will do that. The trouble is, and here's the big trouble, we are not a party to that contract. That is a different contract, a different agreement than the one that we made. This is the old covenant. It's the old covenant that God made with Israel and Judah. It's the old covenant. And what did they do with it? Well, we can go back and look at the history of Israel and Judah and when they had all these blessings poured on them, poured out in their life, so much overwhelming blessing. They forgot God. They turned to idols. And they walked away from him who gave them all of these blessings. So, they fell out of the contract. They fell out of that agreement, out of that covenant. And so as surely as the blessings of the contract came from the pe to the people, so did the curses. We find those curses in Deuteronomy 28.15. <clears throat> it says, but it shall come to pass that if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all of his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, 
with inflammation. That's interesting. Have you ever noticed that word in the middle there? It just really popped out to me. Inflammation. It doesn't sound that bad. A little itchy. Put some ointment on that. What does that mean? Well, interestingly enough, uh, you know, because of the medical conditions that I have, I'm kind of interested in inflammation. It's very interesting. It's an interesting topic. But what science and the medical science specifically is finding that inflammation is the cause. And if not the cause, then a major contributing factor to many of the diseases that we face today. Heart disease, coronary disease, uh, Alzheimer's and cancer. So embedded in this, I'm going to strike you with inflammation, is quite possibly all the diseases that we suffer from in our advanced, technically advanced medical world. We still suffer from those diseases. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fear, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching and with mildew, and they shall pursue you until you perish. And your heavens, which are over your head, shall be bronze, and the earth, which is under you, shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From, the heaven, from, it, from heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And no one shall frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab and with the itch, from which you cannot be healed. And the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. And you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in the darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually. And no one shall save you. Pretty depressing, isn't it? That is not what we want to have. We don't want an agreement that gives us that. But notice that last part. Embedded within the first covenant, if Those that were in that first covenant crashed out of it. They failed. All these curses come upon them. And the very last one is what? No salvation. You will not be saved. You cannot be saved. Once we have fallen out of this kind of covenant, even if we could sign up for this covenant, once we fail to keep up our side of the bargain, then we are without salvation. We cannot be saved. Very sobering. Very sobering. That isn't something we want to do. Sign up for a covenant that we couldn't possibly keep. And yet some have deliberately tried to do that. We know some that have deliberately tried to sign up to this old covenant that has already failed. Here's the thing. We, as Christians, are not party to this agreement. 
we're not in this covenant. We're not able to sign this covenant. We're not able to participate in this promotion. It's kind of a life promotion, isn't it? You know, it's a little like your cell phone plan. Remember when cell phone plans used to be, well, you, know, you get a really good rate, you get this much calling and this much data, and you go over, and what happens? You're cursed in the bank account. Right? You get the extra charges, and they're like 10 times the price. This promotion is not the kind of promotion we want. It's not the one we want to sign up for. And in fact, it's not available anymore. And even if it was, I suspect that we would all fail just like Israel did. Right? We as Christians, as followers of Christ, are co-signatories of another agreement. We've set our hand to a new set of terms. We're not bound by the old covenant. We are bound by the new covenant. Not the old covenant with its blessings and cursings, but with the new covenant that the writer of Hebrews talks about in chapter 8, starting in verse 7. He says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, with the people, with Israel and Judah, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them will teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. That old covenant is about to vanish away. We, we simply cannot sign up for that program. It's closed. It's ended. And it's important for us to remember that. And it's important for us to remember why. It's because... If we fail, right, as we read earlier, if we fail in that, that kind of covenant, there is no salvation for it. That's why a new covenant had to be made, where there was a Savior. Hebrews continues in chapter 9, verse 11. He says, but Christ came as a high priest of good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of its own creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, 
He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. This is the covenant that we want to be a part of. This is the covenant that we are part of. Not of the old, but of the new. And I know we understand this with our mind. We do. Most of this is probably not new. And we, we get it with our mind. But then when hardship and trials come upon us, why do we think it's strange? We are not part of that old covenant that had all of these built-in protections. And I know this falls on the ear a little, a little strange. But Peter is trying to get us to understand that there's something radically different about the new covenant. And we shouldn't make the mistake of feeling with our hearts that we should get all this protection that, that we read about in Deuteronomy, in the old covenant. That promotion, as I said earlier, has ended. It's been replaced with something better. And notice what we just read in verse 15, that the old covenant is, is contrasted between the new. We see the blessings of the old that were simply for the physical life. The blessings of the new are not ultimately for the physical life. They're not really for now. The blessings under the new covenant far exceed anything we could get from the old. And we understand this truth, as I said, with the head, but with the heart. We need to understand it. But we don't have the writer of Hebrews only to trust in this. Jesus told us this. He told us. Remember in Deuteronomy, all the blessings that we, we read there, they're listed out for obedience, aren't they? They're baked into this covenant. Obey and you get these blessings. Well, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, he gave us a new set of blessings that comes with the new covenant. We call them the Beatitudes. It says, And Jesus, seeing the multitudes, he went up unto a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed. Again, this, this notion of blessing is still in the new covenant. But blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we're maybe not getting full harvests and lots of sheep and goats and cattle, but we're getting the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you look at all of these blessings, and there are blessings for obedience, aren't they? When you look at those, do they seem physical? They really don't. They're spiritual. 
are spiritual. As you read these Beatitudes, you realize that they are future and spiritual. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Where's the kingdom of heaven? It's still in heaven. It hasn't come down to the earth yet, has it? So those that are poor in spirit have not yet received it, but it's in the promise. It's in the promise of that covenant. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Does anybody have the deed to the planet yet? You have the deed to the planet? No. It's coming. That's right. We don't have it yet. And that's an interesting contrast with the old covenant and the new. The old covenant, the blessings are overtaking them. Right? The new, we're kind of having to wait for them. And we'll see that a little bit more as as we continue on. We have not fully received the blessings of the new covenant, their future. Jesus continues and says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you, falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our reward, our blessings, are not fully manifest, they're not poured out until God brings them with it when he comes back to the earth, when he brings the kingdom of heaven to the earth. And why would they be poured out ahead of time? Why would they be? Remember, the first covenant failed because of what? All the blessings were just poured out on them, weren't they? And in their rich, fat, happy lives, they forgot the God that gave them those blessings. Why would he allow that same flaw in our nature to be in the new covenant? In Luke chapter 18 and verse verse 18, we read a very familiar and sad story. And I often wonder what happened to this this individual. It says, now a certain ruler asked him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. Do you know the commandments? Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And the ruler said, all these things I've kept from my youth. And it's interesting too, isn't it? I'm sure you've noticed before that all the commandments that Jesus refers to here are the ones to do with how we treat one another. Right? How we treat one another. Whether or not we're committing adultery or murder or stealing or bearing false witness. If we're honoring our parents. And I think Jesus does that deliberately. Because he knows what's in the heart of the man. And he knows what his real struggle is. And we see that next. It says Jesus, when he says, when he hears him say these things, he said unto him, well, you still lack one thing. One thing. Sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, 
has a lot to think about in this passage. Because what jumps out at me is that he had other gods before God. He had his riches. He had his wealth. These were his most precious possessions. And they were, he was putting them ahead of the first commandment. And then the flip side of this, which is kind of by the way, but he was given an opportunity to follow Christ. This guy could have been an apostle. He could have written one of the books that we would read today. Who knows? But instead, when he heard this, he became very sorrowful. For he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he had become sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. But it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why would God set up another covenant which makes the participants rich, healthy, and blessed, and have an overabundance of things in this life for only those things to trip us up as we walk in that Christian life? just like he did for the people of Israel. He wouldn't. He would not want us to thread the needle or try to thread the needle, does he? He wants us to enter the kingdom of God with some space to spare. He doesn't want us to be the rich man trying to get through the kingdom through the eye of a needle. And then we have this final little interchange between Jesus and the people that heard him say these things. And it must have been a little depressing to them. I guess maybe he was surrounded by rich people at the moment. Because those who heard it said, who can possibly be saved? Who then can be saved? And Jesus said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Now at a first glance it might appear that Jesus is saying that with God, a rich man can still enter. And maybe that's the case. I mean, I'm sure that you've met Christians that, that seem to show all the fruits of the Spirit and are quite possibly going to the kingdom of God. We don't know, of course. But they're wealthy. I've met a few of those. Not many, but a few. So maybe that's what Jesus was referring to. Or maybe he was saying that no matter how tough or difficult a journey to God's kingdom will be, no matter the obstacles, no matter our human desire for riches and wealth and comfort, God is able to save us, even from our own human desires for riches, for wealth, and for comfort. Regardless of the meaning, the overall message is clear. This new covenant is not predicated on earthly physical blessings. It is one that is spiritual at its core, spiritual and eternal in its rewards, not temporal in its rewards. Again, remember what Jesus said to his disciples before he was taken to be our sacrifice. In John 15, 18, he said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Don't be surprised at this. 
This is part of the new covenant. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his, ma than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. We're not greater than, than Jesus. If they persecuted him, did they persecute him? Absolutely they did. Why should we then be surprised at fiery trials? But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Remember Paul talking about in the same vein when he said, before the law came, you know, I was, I was alive. And then when the law came, I died. Right? Sin revived and I died. This is where he's getting that from. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have been seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And again, dropping down into John 16, 33. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. This is part of the new covenant. These are some of the promises that Jesus gave us in the new covenant. And we have to be willing to accept that. We have to be willing to take that on. If we're going to walk this Christian walk and share the gospel of Christ to this world, then we're going to have trouble and trial. And it seems that it's almost always a part of the Christian journey. But for a short period of time now, in certain parts of the world, such as here, We've been relatively free, haven't we? And safe from persecution. Safe from, from beatings and scourging and so on. But that's not the case, of course, around the world. The troubles that we have face and may face in, in the future may get worse. I'm sure they will get worse. And we may really be tested at some point in the future. And maybe not as far away as we hope that testing would come. But now in comparison to Christians around the world and other parts of the world, we have it pretty easy. And certainly in comparison to those that have gone before. Well, I mean, it makes me a little bit ashamed when I complain about my version of fiery trials. I don't have any fiery trials by comparison. Back in Hebrews, as we know, this very famous and powerful chapter, we have that sort of testimony from men and women of faith who endured terrible hardship for the sake of the gospel. But in a strange way, and maybe you feel the same way, but 
the, the ones I admire the most in this passage are not the big names, right? They're not the ones that we know about and their backstory. Because we know of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua and Rahab and of Gideon and Barak and Samson and David and Samuel and all the prophets. We, we know their stories, don't we? They're famous to us. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, 33. It says, through, All these through faith subdued kingdoms, and they worked righteousness. They obtained promises and stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And women received their dead, raised to life again. I don't see myself doing a lot of that. Do you? I mean, these just look like untouchable champions sometimes when I, I read this. And I know that they were flawed, and I know that they, we, we have their stories, right? We have, when we meet Abraham one day, and we're like, so what were you thinking? But the whole, you know, Hagar thing? They have their flaws. David, really? You murdered a guy. But at the same time, they're, they're kind of unreachable, some of the amazing things that they did. So when I read this passage, I don't think about them. For me, the ones I associate with are the nameless men and women that endured incredible hardship, and we don't know who they were. We don't have their story. Verse 35, it says, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, pruned. The world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These are my heroes from this list. Because they had no great position, they had no great power. They won no major battles. And there was no record of them raising anyone from the dead. Maybe they did. But what they do have is faith. They were faithful. And in spite of fiery trials and cruel mocking, in spite of losing everything they had, they endured and remained faithful to God and to this new covenant that we participate in, that we share in with these. He says, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. It's still out there. Those blessings are still to come. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. The blessings of our covenant 
are not for now. Don't get me wrong. God does bless us. We see that. He does. And he does stay with us in our fiery trial. But I'm realizing more and more he doesn't take us out of those trials. And you know, it's easy to look at those trials and think, well, there's just things that we have to endure because this is the way the world is. But they're actually more than that. They're more than that, as we'll see. As, as Peter, if we go back to Peter and we put it in context, back in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, when he says, Beloved, do not think that it's strange concerning, concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Ah, the fiery trial which is to try you. It's on purpose. It's on purpose. To test us. To strengthen us. To make us ready. As though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. For if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. There's that blessing word again. So if we are reproached for the name of Christ, then we are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he has blasphemed. But in your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And that's that's hard thing to do. But we shouldn't take the trial as being some kind of judgment. And I failed. I'm doing something wrong. Because why? That's going back to the old covenant and expecting some kind of blessings for obedience. And that is not the covenant we have right now. We have a covenant. That is, we, we, yes, we continue to obey and endure, but our blessings are coming later. And built into this covenant that we have now is fiery trial. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Where, the, where are they going to appear? He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. What he's saying here is that when we are in fiery trials, our response will be, well, we'll be tempted to act as though that we've committed murder or an evildoer, that we've done something wrong. No. If we are going through fiery trials because of our faith, because of the life we live in Christ Jesus, we should do it in Christ Jesus and hold our head up and endure and then do something else. He says, commit our souls to him in doing good. Hand off the worry about our life. Hand off the worry about what's going to happen to us. To him. And we focus on doing good. 
because that's something we can do something about when we're in a fiery trial. Sharing the gospel, helping the sick, feeding the hunger, and taking care of the poor and those that we can aid. Then we will receive the promise in due time at that resurrection time when that kingdom of God comes to this earth. In Revelation 22, verse 12, Jesus says, And behold, I am coming quickly. It doesn't seem quick enough at this time. But he says, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. There's part of that internal inheritance, eternal life. And may enter through the gates into the city, to the new Jerusalem. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Blessed are we when we reach and obtain that reward.